Welcome to the Lamaz podcast. Kalosirtate sto Lamaz podcast. Welcome to the Lamaz podcast. Welcome back to season one of the Lamaz podcast. I am your host, Mindy Cockrum, and I am delighted to introduce you to my guest today, Dorothy Troutman. We're here to discuss a topic that I find really progressive, and that is how to advance a labor that may not be making headway, excuse the pun, or have stalled without using Pitocin as the first port of call. So before we dive in, um, let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. It really gives me great pleasure uh, to introduce Dorothy Troutman. Dorothy Troutman has been a registered nurse for nearly 20 years, and she's worked in three states, California, Arizona, and Montana, at small, medium, and large-sized hospitals. Dorothy told me that she estimates she's been part of probably a 1,000 births in one capacity or another, and she has also caught three dozen babies solo before the provider made it into the room, which is really interesting. So in addition to nursing, she's a certified lactation educator, she's an infant massage educator, and she's a childbirth educator. But earlier this year, she also became a Spinning Babies certified parent educator. So as if she couldn't be any busier, she's also the mother of two boys, ages 10 and 13. And she's been the foster mom to several children, including uh, three infants. So that's a really busy lady. Uh, Welcome, Dorothy. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here. So... Just diving into our topic today, one of the six healthy birth practices of Lamaze International is to walk, move around, and change positions throughout labor. Now, this can be a little difficult in the hospital, right, where women are attached to IVs and fuel monitoring equipment and often, for various reasons, uh, confined to the bed, which I suppose could possibly lead to a labor not progressing as fast as we expect it to, or a slowdown in contractions, or a stall, or a stoppage of dilation, or all those things. So in many hospitals, as you probably know, the way to get the labor train back on the birth track is to use man-made oxytocin, also known as pitocin, to augment or strengthen or reinvigorate those contractions. So with Dorothy today, I want to explore some other options before turning to the pit. All right. Before diving into the actual labor, I wanted to ask you, Dorothy, what can birthing parents do to prepare their bodies physically for labor before we ever get a contraction? Sure. So as a labor nurse, I always encourage my families to really incorporate movement into their pregnancy as early as possible. Walking is an amazing and probably the most easily accessible activity. And also yoga, gentle stretching, other movements like that can be really beneficial for the families. Right. Okay. So assuming the body is as prepared as it can be, let's move into the hospital setting. So, you know, you have a ton of experience in the hospital. Can you tell me roughly, you know, how common is the use of Pitocin in labor? Where I'm at right now, it's less common than it was 20 years ago. We certainly still use it, uh, although we've moved away from those early 37 and 38 week inductions where we saw so many moms needing the requiring Um, oxytocin boost. Uh, So we definitely see less now that we're doing only medically indicated and 39-week elective inductions. We're also fortunate enough to have telemetry monitors so we can actually get our moms up even if they need 
the use of Pitocin. Yay. Okay. So why is Pitocin used and how is it used and how do you monitor them and adjust it up or down or whatever the case? Pitocin is used through the IV. So all moms who are going to be having Pitocin induction or augmentation need an IV access. And we have to have them continuously monitored. That does not, for at least our hospital, mean that they have to be in bed. It just means that we have to have fetal monitoring continuously. And so, again, in our hospital, we've also gone to a risk reduction model for our third stage of labor, that delivery of the placenta. So regardless of if moms have received Pitocin in uh, labor, they all receive two bags of Pitocin post-delivery to assist with um, prevention of hemorrhage. Right, so manage third stage. Correct, yes. Yeah. So um, we increase, we can increase or decrease our Pitocin um, every 30 minutes. Uh, The nice thing is, is that we know that once active labor, once a mom has started laboring on her own, a lot of times we can actually decrease the Pitocin and sometimes even turn it off. They just need kind of that jump start where, When I first started my career, we used a lot of Pitocin. We used it often. Um, Now we have checklists and we have criteria that we have to make sure that the the baby's tolerating it, that mom's not having too many contractions. And then, you know, we adjust only based on the need for more Pitocin. Right. So a pit break, is that what they call it? Well, so that's that's actually different. Um, So a Pitocin break would be um, for a prolonged usage. If we've had a mom using Pitocin for 12 plus hours, some of our providers will allow us to shut that Pitocin off for 30 to 60 minutes where we allow those receptors, they kind of get oversaturated. Like, you know, if you had a sponge and you dunked it in a, a bath water and then you tried to soak up more water, it just isn't going to pick anything up. But if you wring that out and then you try to wipe up water, it's gonna absorb. So we kind of think about our Pitocin receptors in the same way. So the Pitocin break is um, kind of a reset, that computer reset where we just give the mom a break and then we can, start either in half or um, start completely over. And, and we typically find that if we've done that, we need far less oxytocin the second time around. What a good analogy. And I'm a visual learner. So um, that, I, I'm, I'll use the sponge analogy in future. Yeah. So thanks. That's a great explanation. So instead of increasing or using PIT to strengthen a contraction, what else can pa- parents and staff try? So obviously movement is, is huge. We know that gravity is fantastic for, um, you know, getting things moving um, without the baby really pushing on that cervix. We often don't have the strength of the contractions that we need. So just making sure that baby is in the position to best help to dilate that cervix. Um, so movement, upright positions. Some of our providers are even open to doing things like nipple stimulation, where you stimulate the nipples to release that oxytocin naturally and cause the uterine contractions that way. Right. Um, relaxation. We often find moms who are really overwhelmed with the labor process or haven't had a good meal or good rest, that sometimes their contractions also aren't as strong as they could be. So making sure that we feel safe where we're laboring, a quiet, dim environment, and just kind of setting the stage for that labor progression. 
What about the mighty peanut, as I like to call it, the mighty uh, peanut, the ball. peanut ball? I just uh, last year really I'd been using them, but I had the opportunity to take Mandy Irby's peanut ball class, and I love them. The birthing balls and the peanut balls are a phenomenal addition to the labor unit. And I thankfully have access to every size and shape that we need. If a family doesn't, they can actually purchase them and take them with them. I find that just allowing different positions for sitting, for resting, and really having more of an active resting sideline position is going to just really help to give the baby more room to navigate through that pelvis. Right. Do you ever use a peanut ball in, in the second stage when they're pushing? I do. Yes. <laughs> Tell me <laughs> Again, about that. So, um, you know, the, that closed knee positioning or the internal, the internal rotation of those sits bones to really um, open those sits bones um, to give more room um, at the outlet of the pelvis. Um, so by placing the knees usually together, if they're on a, on their side, you can just put a little towel underneath and then you actually put the peanut ball between their feet so that they can kind of just angle their toes towards each other. And that just really externally rotates the sits bones and just allows that opening for the, the pelvis where baby's trying to navigate through. So it's been very beneficial. Yeah, I've been teaching this in my class for about the last year or so. And I always tell people in the class to try it in the shower to, you know, although, you know, being pregnant, you may be slightly unstable. I always tell them, you try it in the shower, try, put your knees together, point your toes in towards each other and put your hands on your sit bones and feel how the sit bones kind of move outward. And they probably think I'm a bit nuts, but I'm glad that you're in agreement Absolutely. with me that it works. Yes. And, you know, really, I just, I'll have our families even just on their chair, you know, it's easy when you're sitting upright on a chair to really kind of feel those sit bones and and we've all been taught um, in the labor world that you bring the knees out and you bring the knees back and you have to have everything open. Um, but when we actually do that, we're closing where baby's trying to get out of. So um, it's, it is definitely a newer concept and slow for some of our providers to catch on to that. It's, it's a great thing to have in our tool belt for sure. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it got me doing it now on the chair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we also have heard of lots of other kind of positions uh, like uh, flying cowgirl or sims. I mean, can you tell us about a position that you, you tend to use more than others? You know, the great thing about positions, we have a lot of... Um, I have a ton of respect for spitting babies. They have... Um, Gail Tooley has just really compiled a lot of information in a lot of these positions for us in a central place where we can easily find them with great pictures. And so we have to understand that we need to know where baby is in order right. to understand how these positions are going to benefit us. Where I feel like actually in November last year when I took her class, I had tears streaming down my face because I actually finally understood why some of the positions that I intuitively went to worked, and unfortunately, why some of the positions that I also intuitively went to didn't work, and so, or why they work sporadically, perhaps. For example, the flying cowgirl is a fantastic position. It's wonderful for resting moms, for just allowing the 
kind of passive movements. And so for people who have an epidural um, or just are exhausted. And so basically we have them laying completely on their side. We push their hips forward and bring our feet back. Um, and then we place that peanut ball kind of behind them. That position is fantastic, but it only is going to work if the baby is high. Gotcha. So if you have a baby who's, you know, in that middle pelvis or in the low pelvis, it's not going to work the same way. Each position, you know, there's a different technique for each area that the baby's resting in. What, I mean, what about something like back-to-back if you've got a posterior lie? Um, is there a common, you know, a tip you've got for us or position for that? You know, um, spinning babies maneuvers that they use um, or that my favorite go-to, you know, we use the forward leaning inversion where we can kind of actually tip mom upside down a bit, almost mm-hmm. like, you know, a yoga position. Um, we can do it on the bed or off of the bed in the laboring room. And as a certified child, the spinning babies parent educator, I have the opportunity to teach families these activities so they can actually prepare ahead of time and allow the um, baby to kind of navigate into a really great position so that hopefully we don't have an OP baby in the beginnings of labor. When I have moms come in and they are already in labor or maybe they're being induced and a lot of times I'll see families who are choosing induction for one reason or another. And that's where we typically will see these OP babies. I feel like they just, they're kind of naturally already there and labor hasn't progressed or started. And I feel like a lot of times that's where we start to get those, that, um, that movement. And if we just kind of surprise them into labor, they don't have the opportunity to move into that natural position for birth. And so using the the forward leaning inversion, using our peanut ball positioning hands and knees is a great position to help babies to rotate around. And, you know, even just our, the flying cowgirl will help to kind of just allow more move, more room in that pelvis for baby to kind of rotate around. And another one that's really great if they're not in labor yet is fast circles on the ball. I, you know, the, the nice big exercise ball fully inflated so that their knees are lower than their hips and just having them not those fat, gentle, slow circles that we often use for comfort, but really putting on some fast movement music. And um, I tell them to pretend like they're hula hooping and we do that. (laughs) And it just sort of helps to rotate that baby into an upright more into um, be more of a ideal position for entering the pelvis. (laughs) I love it. And we have to think of a song that we'll, uh, that we could. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you have a favorite story of a pregnant person that, you know, wasn't progressing and that you kind of wandered into the room and changed things? Or do they kind of, you know, yell, do the other nurses yell for Dorothy to get in this room? We need your help. I mean, do you have a success story that you will be willing to share of late? Sure. So, you know, I am fortunate enough to work with a lot of newer nurses. And so they haven't all had necessarily a lot of experience. So I often will get text messages. Hey, my patient is doing this. What do you, what do you think? Or I'll be called into their rooms to kind of help them um, navigate some of these just, just different positions. And so I've had two recently, my, I had one little mama come in. She was, she was too early to be having a baby. She was going to be a scheduled C-section and her baby was um, in a transverse lie, meaning it was laying from side to side. And she was just so uncomfortable. 
because instead of being upright or head down or even bottom down, her baby was taking up her entire width of her belly. And so we were able to do the sideline release with her and a forward leaning inversion. And after doing those, she was able to, the baby was able to rotate and she was able to progress, you know, go home comfortably and made it all the way till her scheduled um, section date. And then just recently, I've also, I had a mom who had stalled out at four centimeters. She had had babies in the past. They'd been quick labors. And unfortunately, this time around, it wasn't quite going the same. And so we did flying cowgirl. <laughs> and I actually got to catch her baby because uh, we did flying cowgirl 20 minutes on each side and the doctor didn't quite catch, make it in time. And so, um, and it doesn't always happen that way, but sometimes we just have to give them just enough room and then they are able to slip right out. I can only imagine the the provider's face when uh, he or she walks in and you're kind of, you know, I told you to get in here a little sooner. Yeah, (laughs) and it was, like I said, it doesn't always happen that way, but one of my coworkers called me at one point and asked me similar, you know, what should I do? We gave similar advice and she actually ended up delivering that baby as well. So definitely some of these things, you know, we can create so much room that if we have a labor that is stalled, we really don't want to be doing these things at home. (laughs) Unless your plan is a home birth. And then by all means, you, you know, make sure that your healthcare provider is with you, but perhaps we need to, to have the providers on the unit before we try these things, um, or at least closer. Now you've mentioned, or I've mentioned, you've told me how that, you know, you've worked in different states, different level hospitals. How are these different techniques that you've been talking about received by hospital staff? And, and, you know, what barriers do you find staff have to overcome to use these labor progression techniques before just moving to pit? Sure. So I think that, you know, I've been in Montana the last 13 years, and we are very fortunate to, to really be working towards evidence-based practices. And thankfully, you know, we have a lot of really great forerunners that are coming through with, with evidence and with studies that are showing that these positions are helpful and beneficial, less invasive, um, fewer interventions. And so our providers are at least willing to let us try them for the most part. They may or may not believe in them yet, but they aren't opposed to them. Um, You know, when I worked in Arizona and California, those, you know, it was a different time. Um, We really didn't know a lot about these positions. Um, So I would hope that most facilities are at least opening, um, it's kind of becoming more mainstream, where before these things might be something that you might only find in a midwife practice or somebody who really had hoped to have a home birth and ended up in the hospital for one reason or another, where now I feel like these are techniques and positions that are available to anyone, even those who want an epidural are being able to utilize these positions. And just the, you know, the the peanut balls, the, there's so many fantastic things that we can do before or instead of Pitocin. And I think that's, you know, that's really been helpful. Really just the, the provider mindset, you know, I think is probably our biggest obstacle. Labor and delivery tends to be a, well, this is how we've always done it field, but we are definitely moving into the, well, this is what the evidence shows. And so (laughs) thankfully, like I said, we have some great people who are 
doing some some research around that. I mean, do you see a time when the you know uh, labor and delivery nurses would you know be required to go through the kind of training that you've been fortunate enough to go through, or that um, OB residents would you know sit through a grand rounds or a you know go through I the would, themselves? <laughs> I would love to see that day. I know that. Nikki Zerpas, who is a certified um, spinning babies educator, um, she works, I believe, out in Seattle or in the Washington State area, and she has been able to bring that to her facility. And I know there are some hospitals that have mandated the trainings with great success. I think if they were more readily available and or even paid for by the hospitals or reimbursed, that we would see more nurses willing to, to go. Um, I had the opportunity, thankfully, only to have to drive an hour, which in the state of Montana, if you only have to drive an hour to get to a conference, you're doing good. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so I, you know, I think that um, the nice thing is, you know, Mandy Irby has a lot of great online classes. And so as much fun as it is to go to conferences and to interact with other nurses, I guess one thing that maybe the pandemic has has brought is more easily accessible education to those of us who don't always get those big conferences near us. And, you know, that just makes it a little bit easier for us to obtain our education. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I kind of foresee a day when potentially a hospital would market themselves as a, you know, a center of excellence for obstetrics that incorporates um, spinning babies techniques or something like that to kind of differentiate themselves from another hospital because if yeah. I was going to do some marketing I would always be looking for a you know something that uh, makes us different I mean if you had to teach one if you could only teach one um, technique to parents to be what would that technique be for progressing a labor I think my favorite really is probably the sideline release for right. um, a spinning baby's technique um, it definitely is one that if it's not done properly, we don't see the benefits. Uh, so it's something that I spend a lot of time on when I'm teaching my, my parent classes um, so that they really have a good feel for it. Contraindications, of course, um, really only if they are um, hypermobility in their joints. Um, so that means that pretty much everybody is able to do it. It doesn't matter their BMI or, you know, um, epidural status. It can be done in the pregnancy period as well as the laboring period. And it just allows to kind of just provide rejuvenation of the of the fascia. It allows for softening of the muscles. It allows for um, the pelvic floor to relax. It kind of lengthens all of the muscles going to the pelvic floor. And it can be repeated throughout the labor process. And I think that that one is just, it's just can be very comfortable. Although in labor, I think that it's probably not as comfortable as some of the, you know, like some of the peanut ball positionings, um, but it can be very useful and beneficial to just um, give baby more space. Super. Okay. I suppose finally, I'm wondering where parents can go to get more information, particularly free resources to learn more about the things that we've talked about today. 
Yeah, so Spinning Babies um, has a fantastic website. They have compiled free exercises. Um, they call them their daily activities. And they're just gentle exercises that parents can do throughout the pregnancy. They also have pictures and explanations for each of their three balances, as well as other, you know, like the, the, the flying cowgirl um, and some of the other positions, you know, the um, the Welchers or Froggy Welchers positionings and Texas role, all of those things that, you know, just allow to create space. And I've actually pulled those up in my labor room as a nurse, um, especially as I was getting comfortable using all of those techniques. I just pulled them up right on the computer in my room. And it just has those step-by-step instructions, tells you maybe why you shouldn't use it as well as the benefits of, you know, utilizing those different positions. And then Mandy Irby has some great information out there as well. And um, Rebecca Decker with Evidence-Based Birth, they all have free resources and different things that families can access. Fantastic. It's really a new kind of a new way of thinking. Maybe it's more the midwifery where a model. I don't know what you yeah. think about that. You know, I think that families are starting to maybe understand a little bit more that labor and birth is a natural, normal process. And although there are times certainly that medical intervention are absolutely necessary and can be life-saving, there are a lot of times where we have created some problems. And I think that families are starting to become better educated about themselves and about their pregnancies and just about what's available to them. Um, And I think that that's where we're going to really see the change is when the families demand that we are doing things differently. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to add, Dorothy? I'm really, I mean, I found this topic fascinating and I hope that the podcast is really helpful for both professionals and parents alike. I think, I think we've kind of covered everything. I think really just, you know, we talked about that very first thing, getting active and moving really as early in pregnancy and, and if possible, even in that preparation for pregnancy phase, um, talking with healthcare providers to make sure that what you're doing is safe, but really just swimming, walking, yoga, any sort of movement. And just remember that as the, as the birthing person, you get to ask and, and encourage your, your nurses to look these things up if they aren't familiar. But, you know, if the patient is coming to us saying, Hey, I, I know about these things, Mm -hmm. then I think that a lot of the nursing staff is willing to learn even right alongside the patient. And so oh, I they're fascinated. Yeah, it's, it's really a fun time to be a labor and delivery nurse or, you know, I've just recently also started a doula business. So just being able to support families in all aspects of the labor. Well, a lucky family that gets you as a doula. That's, <laughs> that's what I'll say. Yeah, so... Well, thank you. I mean, I hope that today's podcast has given our listeners insight into labor progression techniques beyond pit. And I really want to thank Dorothy, as well as you, the listener, uh, for joining us. So we look forward to virtually seeing you again soon. Uh, And as I say at the end of my classes, Dorothy, let's make like a baby and head out. Yeah? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Dorothy. Thank you, Mindy. Mm -hmm.